Welcome to Bulletproof Faith. We're in part four of Rewritten History. Uh, today we're going to cover two main topics, Benjamin Franklin and then the myth of separation of church and state. Um, how many times, Jordan, have you heard someone say, well, there's separation of church and state. Oh, so you, it seems like every other week. So you can't go out and, uh, and pray at the <laughs> gas station or, you know, I mean. Every other week, it seems. Yeah. So um, first, we're going to do Ben Franklin, uh, but stick around to the end. We're going to do the separation of church and state. Um, and you need to hear this. You need to know this information. So make sure you stick around to the end. Um, remember... As a general introduction here, why are we doing this? Um, it's, it's one, kids need to know the true history of the founding of our country. Uh, they need to see that it, it's the, what we live in is, is the fruits of Christianity, and the, and the further that we get away from it, uh, the, the worse things get. Uh, also, we're, this is a combat against humanism. Uh, this, this is not um, gathered around the Tower of Babel and we're going to build a tower to the sky, right? It's, it's no, we're, we're looking to God our Father um, and, and we're trying to obey His rules. We're trying to do things His way. So um, we're combating against humanism here. So Ben Franklin and the myth of separation of church and state. Let's get into it. Benjamin Franklin, uh, a famous inventor, founding father, um, one of the things that's interesting about him, he's definitely known and written about as one of those, quote, deists, right? Um, he's, he's widely known as probably one of the least religious of our founding fathers. Okay, okay. Um, and it's just kind of one of those things like everybody accepts about him. Is what we know about him the truth? Uh, or, or at least is it the 100% accurate truth? Is it the full truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. The whole truth and nothing <laughs> but the truth. So, let's start with the baseline, all right? Um, maybe what we don't know, maybe maybe we'll, we'll never know for sure uh, what exactly was going on with him, but here's some things that we do know, okay? He at least respected Christianity. He respected religion. He believed in God, or at least some form of God in some capacity, right? He believed that religion, um, probably Christianity to be specific, was crucial to the basis of our nation. Mm. Okay, now we can see this in his letters, his quotes, all that sort of thing, we'll, and we'll get into it more later in detail. Now here's what we also know about him. We know that he was a flawed individual. There's all sorts of rumors and speculation about Benjamin Franklin. Um, varying degrees of truth and probability. Some say that he used to go to brothels when he visited France, and uh, and that's you know one of the main reasons he would go there. Uh, there's there's another rumor that he impregnated one of his slaves. Um, that that's a rumor out there, but it's also disputed and and not proven. I don't think. Um, there's a rumor that he actually died from syphilis. Okay, my point is never said any of these men were perfect. Um, none of them are. Um, but, hey, if if you're um, a, a crazy, uh, super, super liberal who 
supports open relationships and this kind of stuff, why do you even bring this up? <laughs> why do you bring up that he, I mean, you're, you're acting right. like he did something bad, but you yourself you, don't think that's yeah, something yeah, bad. Exactly. Uh, so why even bring it up? If, if you're not a Christian, then what's the basis for thinking that a man should stay with one woman anyway? That's right. Okay? That's right. Um, but anyway, that's a side point. Let's look at the actual known history, and then we'll see what sort of conclusions we can come to. Benjamin Franklin was raised in a Christian home. His father was a Puritan. Hmm. You know those people on the Mayflower and <laughs> yeah. uh, Plymouth Rock. Yeah, yeah. Wearing the funny hats. Oh, yeah. Um, his parents actually wanted him to become a Christian minister. Um, but they didn't have like the money to train him or anything like that. So he, he ended up going to work as a printer's apprentice. Um, very early in life, he traveled several times and he read lots of things, eventually getting into this idea of deism. And you can see, we know this, he writes about it in his own autobiography. Franklin does. Yeah. This happened when he was in his teens or 20s, maybe. And there's a lot more to his life other than that. I mean, think about what you did in your teens oh, or man. 20s. I don't want to. Um, so you see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's just more to it than that, and you can't take one statement. Yeah. Um, many consider him to be a deist because he says so in his autobiography, and that's kind of where this thought comes from. So um, the other thing, though, is it's well known that his autobiography was not finished. I mean, just, just Google it. It's an unfinished work. Mm. He wrote most of it in 1771, and there were other volumes of it that go later, um, but the majority of it written in 1771. Man, there's a lot missing after that. So, describing him as a deist when he still had a lot of life left to go, um, th that's probably not the full story. So, talk about his later life. It seems that um, at some point he was definitely influenced by deism, but that was early in life. So what about the later years, right? Let's look at a couple of things. One, I want to talk about the famous prayer speech that he delivered in Congress, mm. 1787. Now, he would have been 81 years old at the time in 1787 when he delivered this speech. He died in 1790, so just a few years later. Now, this was during a difficult time for the nation, and he stands up in Congress in front of everybody and basically says, guys, what are we doing here? We've gotten away from what made us great. And he called for public prayer in the Congress session. Here's part of the speech, okay? Here's what he stood up and said in Congress. In this situation of the assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish when scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us how has it happened sir that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the father of lights to illuminate our understandings in the beginning of the contest with great britain when we were in sensible danger we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. 
To that kind providence we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? That's pretty, that's pretty telling. All right, I'm going to skip down a little bit. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build, they labor in vain. I firmly believe this. I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves will, we ourselves shall be, become a reproach, and a byword down to future age. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom, and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business, and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Mm. Does that sound like a man who is uh, agnostic or atheist or deist? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, It sounds to me like a man advocating for prayer to God, the God of the Bible. I mean, he makes so many allusions to the Bible in just that one speech. Yeah. Now, sorry, I got to apologize to you guys. It's hard to read this kind of like old English, how they used to talk back then, and um, I get tripped up on it. But that's that's what he said. He he made all sorts of biblical references in that one speech calling for the, the Congress to pray before every session. Mm. Um, now, historically, we know that this absolutely happened, and it's not some sort of fairy tale, because we have, one, James Madison's detailed notes that describe it, and then, two, we have Franklin's own notes where he was planning this before it happened. He was writing down and planning the speech before he ever gave it. Mm. So we know that that happened. It's pretty neat, huh? Absolutely. Um. Now, I want to talk about when some of his own words, like when he would describe America, um, it's, all, it's noted that when Franklin would travel to Europe or other countries and he talks about America to people, he mentions that everybody there is so familiar with Scripture that when he cites it, he doesn't even have to cite the reference <laughs> because everybody just knows. Everybody understands. He's it, telling yeah. them that's what it's like in America. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't like that in France or... Yeah whatever, but he says, that's how it is in the U.S. I can just say a scripture and I don't even have to give the reference because everybody knows it. <laughs> everybody understands it. Here's a blurb that he wrote in 1784, um, and this is from a pamphlet called Information to Those Who Would Remove to America. So this is information for Europeans wondering, what's it like over in America, and should I think about maybe coming over? Okay, so he's, he's giving them information. He writes, Hence, 
Bad examples to youth are more rare in America, which must be a comfortable consideration to parents. To this may be truly added that serious religion under its various denominations is not only tolerated but respected and practiced. Atheism is unknown there, infidelity rare and secret, so that persons may live to a great age in that country without having their piety shocked by meeting with either an atheist or an infidel. So, he's saying in America, you can live your whole life without ever ever meeting an atheist. Mm. Let me keep going. And the divine being seems to have manifested his approbation or approval of the mutual forbearance and kindness with which the different sects treat each other by the remarkable prosperity with which he has been pleased to favor the whole country. Mm. So he's talking very highly of religion and the atmosphere that it created in America. It's very interesting when mm. he describes America. Um, another thing I'll talk about is Thomas Paine. And um, Thomas Paine is, uh, he, he was one of the guys that was around during the founding too, and I, I think he eventually um, defected maybe. But he wrote and published um, something called Age of Reason where he attacked Christianity and kind of pushed forward some of his own, uh, some weird philosophies, and it sort of promoted deism, but it, it was an attack on Christianity. Um, Benjamin Franklin rejected this, and it's, it's documented. So Franklin had a manuscript copy of it beforehand, before it was published. And he wrote to Thomas Paine encouraging him not to publish it. Here's some of what he said. Um, first, he said, pushing against the idea of God would not actually succeed. Um, he said, quote, he who spits against the wind spits into his own face. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? It is. Um, then he said, if it does succeed, what good would come of it? So he says, he, he, here's a quote, he says, you yourself may find it easy to live a virtuous life without the assistance afforded by religion. You having a clear perception of the advantages of virtue and the disadvantages of vice and possessing a strength of resolution sufficient to enable you to resist the common temptation. So you, you Thomas, you might think it's easy to live well and to, and to be moral or whatever. Here's the rest of the quote. But think how great a portion of mankind consists of weak and ignorant men and women and of inexperienced, inconsiderate youth of both sexes who have need of the motives of religion to restrain them from vice and to support their virtue and retain them in the practice of it till it becomes habitual, which is the great point for its security. And perhaps you, he's, he's talking to Thomas here, and perhaps you are indebted to her originally that is, to your religious education, for the habits of virtue upon which you now justly value yourself. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, well, I can live a virtuous life. I can be moral. I can do all this stuff. And he's saying, perhaps you failed to consider that it's because of your religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and That's because awesome. of the influence of you know, Christianity on, on the world around you right. and the worldviews and everything else. So then... He advised him at the end of the letter to burn this manuscript before anyone else saw it. <laughs> That's pretty strong. Yeah, advice. it is. Yeah. Um, 
So, also, I want to talk about Franklin's writings on Christianity, uh, specifically. He referred to it as necessary and most excellent in comparison with other religions. Mm. He said it was wonderful to walk into a town and hear psalms being sung in the homes and in the streets. Ah, that's cool. He acknowledged the importance of Scripture and the influence that it has over people. Um, Here's a quote from Benjamin Franklin on what creates a good society. Quote, A Bible and a newspaper in every house, a good school in every district, all studied and appreciated as they merit, are the principal supports of virtue, morality, and civil liberty. Mm. Bible in every home, baby. That's cool. (laughs) So, conclusion on Ben Franklin. He, I think, like many today, he was raised in a Christian home, and then as a teenager and kind of a young man, he drifted and and kind of lost his way. I think it's not not an uncommon story in modern day. Not at all. Toward adulthood and maturity, it seems to me like he came to his senses. Mm. Um, many of his speeches and writings and sayings and stuff like that, they, they sound like a Christian. Um, a Christian who maybe or, or you know probably had some bad theology, didn't have some things right, but someone who still respected the faith. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. At worst, at worst, we know that he was someone who believed in a creator. He believed um, at least in uh, somewhat of what the scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments, said, and and he believed that Christianity was the best hope for society. That's way more than what we're taught in school. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. And and what the kids are taught in school. So that's Benjamin Franklin. Um, That's kind of more detail, more context, more truth about the man who is... Um, widely accepted to be just a deist and one of the least religious uh, founding fathers, right? So, um, that's it on Benjamin Franklin. Now, I want to move on to the myth of the separation of church and state. Hmm. We've all heard this, right? The the Freedom From Religion Foundation and, and everybody else. We've all heard separation of church and state. Um do you know, did you know that the separation of church and state, that phrase, is not found in the Constitution? <laughs> <laughs> so what people are attempting to cite when they say it, they're attempting to cite the First Amendment to the Constitution, which begins by saying, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So, if we think about what that means, what it's really saying is Congress cannot set up a national religion. Or Congress cannot pass a law that prohibits individuals from freely exercising religion. So, we can't force a national religion and, uh, and, and set up this establishment. Um, and also, we can't prohibit you from exercising your own religion. Now, notice what it does not say. It does not say individuals cannot express their religious practice on a government property, right? Uh, it, it doesn't say you cannot pray before a high school football game. 
that's just not what it says. And that it is not intended to say that. Now, here's the proof and kind of like the proof of what they intended. Almost all of the founding fathers expressed their religion publicly. They talked about God during their public speeches, um, inaugural addresses, all these things. They called for prayer publicly. They wrote God in all sorts of the documents. So these founders, these same people that wrote and voted on this First Amendment, they're the same people. They're the same people that talk about God. Um, so it can't be that they intended to make the U.S. a completely secular nation. Mm. Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson. Now remember Thomas Jefferson, because we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later. They were once tasked to come up with a seal, the, the seal of the U.S., the United States seal. Um, the first draft here, it didn't get adopted, but what they came up with was an image of Moses and Israel being led through the wilderness by the cloud and the pillar of fire. That was on the seal. And then around the outside of it, the little circle on the outside, it said, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Mm. Which I think is a reference to John Knox, right? The, the 16th century Scottish reformer, yeah. uh, where he said resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Um, but so the way that atheists and, and such people like that, they want to apply it today, where you, know, you can just have no expression of, of faith or prayer, that cannot be what the writers of the amend amendment intended, right? So what was their intention? For this, you have to go back a little bit uh, to get some more context. And where this comes from is a letter to the Danbury Baptists. Um, remember we said the phrase separation of church and state is not in the Constitution? Mm -hmm. So where did it come from? Where did that phrase come from? It's found in a letter written in 1802 from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut. They were worried about government persecution um, and their own religious freedom. At, at that time, Baptists were, were being persecuted some. And so they were worried about their own religious freedom. And so they were basically asking uh, Thomas Jefferson, is the government going to outlaw being a Baptist? And so they wrote to him. And then this letter, this 1802 letter, is his response to them. So that's the context of the letter. He's assuring them that we aren't going to have another Church of England type situation. There's not going to be a national established religion that you know or denomination that you've got to be a part of. There's not going to be one national religion, and the government's not going to come in and tell you how to worship. Okay, so Thomas Jefferson writes in, the, in this letter, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should, quote, make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, mm. thus building a wall of separation between church and state. That's where that comes from. Mm. So he references the First Amendment and basically assures them that the government is not going to come in 
and tell you how to preach. The concern is government interfering with individual religions. It's not the other way around, yeah. like people apply it today. Mm. It's, it's not an individual's religion interfering with government. The, the concern was government is not going to come in and tell you how you have to worship or what's illegal to do. Yeah. We're not going to set up a Church of England where there's one national religion. So it was really to uphold more freedoms for Americans, not less. So if you try to say that there can't be a prayer before a high school football game, you're restricting freedoms, mm. and you're not applying the amendment appropriately. That's not the context of it, and that's not what they meant. The law is saying you can pray however you want, and the government can't interfere with that. That's what it's saying. But it also effectively says if you're an atheist and you don't want to participate in that prayer, you don't have to. No, you're not going to be forced to practice a religion. Sure. sure. So, I guess also further evidence of what the intention was, um, because we're talking about Thomas Jefferson here writing the letter, he introduced the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom in 1779 in Virginia. So, a statute for religious freedom, right? This became a law in 1786. It prohibited the government of Virginia from having any established church and asserted that the religious opinions of men were private. That it was, you know, between them and God and not government's business. So that is the context of separation of church and state. So, remember that the next time that someone talks about the separation of church and state and they just hit you with that phrase, quote, separation of church and state. Oh, yeah. Now you know that it came from a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Dan the Danbury Baptist Association. It's a good little tidbit. And it assured them of religious freedom. Mm. The government can't trample on it. Mm. It doesn't mean that religion cannot have any influence in public spaces on any level. Mm. They've got it backwards. They've got it exactly backwards to fit their own wishes and desires. All right, remember that. That's important stuff. Teach your kids that. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode on Benjamin Franklin and the separation of church and state. We'll see you next time as we continue on with Rewritten History.